Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 7 in the New Testament. But first, we are doing Bubbles with Flora, right? Oh. Go. Where'd it go? Bubble. Oh, pop. <laughs> She's stomping on the bubbles. Ready? in your hand okay so matthew 7 here we go man that was a really good exhale okay judge not that ye be not judged so judge not unrighteously but judge righteous judgment right that's what it means uh, number two for with what judgment ye, sh ye judge ye shall be judged and with what measure ye meet it shall be measured to you again so meet meaning like you give out and so judge righteously, right? And then verse three, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine eye? So a mote's like a tiny piece of substance and a beam is a large piece of timber. Um, verse four, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thy hypocrite first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shall thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. We always think that we have already cast out all of our motes <laughs> and all of our beams, but... We can never cast them enough out. So just don't judge other people unrighteously, right? Because you don't know where they've been. You don't know what they have to walk through. You don't know what their trials are. And sadly, um, when other people uh, abuse other people, like our first excuse is like hurt people hurt people. Like as if that's some kind of uh, justification for their actions, which is not. And so, what's up, Miss? I don't know what's going on. Hold on. So we always think that we're judging righteously, right? Um, because sometimes we think that, hey, because we're making two good choices in a day, we have the right to uh, misjudge other people. <laughs> and... It's hard because sometimes we feel like we do know better. I think we judge our kids uh, the the hardest, and well, I think I think I know. Well, I know I judge myself the hardest, but I know that I judge the kids the hardest, uh, second hardest. Okay, so it says that note Joseph note the Joseph Smith translation for verse one. It says, "Judge not unrighteously, that ye be not judged, but judge righteous judgment." This gives the added understanding that we are supposed to judge. But to not, but to judge righteously. President Dallin H. Oaks, who was a judge, <laughs> gave a must-read talk titled "Judge Not and Judging." He explained that there are two kinds of judgments: final judgments and intermediate judgments. Final judgments are reserved for Christ and will take place when we are judged according to our works. These are the judgments we should not make towards our fellow men. 
Um, and inner, okay, so I think sometimes we're like, you're going to go to hell. You know, that's the kind of like final judgment that we're talking about. Um, and then intermediate judgments are judgments we are required to make. Righteous judgments make or righteous judgments must be intermediate. These are when we use our personal agency to determine who to be friends with or who to date or who to do business with, etc. In these intermediate judgments, we must judge righteous judgments. So no Elder Oaks teachings uh wait, no Elder Oaks talk teaches seven principles to help us make righteous judgments. You can find it online at the Judge Not and Judging, August 1999, Enzyme. Okay, um, we're going to have to for sure read that because I would love to read that. In verse 3, a moat is a tiny piece of substance. Jesus was teaching that the hypocrite will easily notice and point out the moat that is in his brother's eye, so he is partly blind. While all along, he, like the scribe, has a beam, a large piece of timber, in his own eye, making him wholly blind before he judges another. He ought to pull out his own beam. So President Spencer W. Kimball in The Miracle of Forgiveness says, quote, the unequalness of the beam and the moat is telling. A moat is a tiny silver like a small portion from a toothpick. Tiny sliver. (laughs) I said silver. Um, While the beam is usually a great strong timber or metal which runs from wall to wall to support the heavy roof of the building. When one is loaded down with beam size weaknesses and sins, it is certainly wrong to forget his own difficult position while he makes mountains of the molehill size errors of his brother. End quote. (laughs) And that's so true. Okay, and then we're verse 6. Okay, so this is the Joseph Smith translation to holy things, I think. Uh, It's hard because, excuse me, because Redheaded Hostess uh, copy-pastes the scriptures into into their study guide. Um, So I'm going to go into my own to see what the verse 6 is. So I'm just going to go into my own app here. Okay, so it says, verse 6, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Okay, now I'm actually in the Joseph Smith translation. So um, it is Joseph Smith, Matthew, chapter 7, verses 9 to 11 for this verse. So... There's some extra verses. Okay, it says, Go ye into the world, saying unto all, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come nigh unto you. And the mysteries of the kingdom ye shall keep within yourselves. For it is not meet to give that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls unto swine, lest they trample them under their feet. For the world cannot receive that which ye yourselves are not able to bear. Wherefore, ye shall not give your pearls unto them, lest they turn again and rend you. Okay, so hmm. So it's, I'm still trying to figure out what that means for myself. Um, so let's read this commentary here. <clears throat> this, the disciples must be careful not to share sacred teachings or a.k.a. the mysteries of the kingdom, with people who are not ready for them. To the Jews, 
Dogs and swine were considered impure animals, so here they represent the spiritually unprepared. If you cast your precious pearls before the swine, they would just gobble them up. They would not value them or be able to digest them. So must it be with sacred truths. You must discern whether or not the person you are teaching is ready for them. Or, and if not, you must leave them be. Um, this kind of is interesting because it kind of uh, reminds me of um, when I was being taught some things from my therapist um, about sharing your story with people um, and how not everyone is ready to hear your story and how some people may not be able to receive it in a way that is healthy even for you. And so, for example, you not you need to find safe people to share your story with or discern if the people that you're sh- going to share your story with are safe enough so that when you do share your story, you are... And because when you share your story, you're being vulnerable. And when you're being vulnerable, you know, you you can be vulnerable in public. Hello, we know how that is. However, I think it's different than uh, being vulnerable with somebody one-on-one or with like a group of people who know your, who maybe share similar stories or who won't uh, um, just dismiss what you're saying. Like I remember... Uh, sharing my story um, of feeling betrayal trauma with a friend who has no understanding of why that would be bad. And it was not a good, great conversation because I also had to like explain how it is a bad thing. And, and so it didn't turn out maybe the way that I hoped it turned out. Um, and we're still friends, but like, they just didn't understand what the big deal was, right? Like, what's the big deal about watching pornography? Well, there's a lot of big deals. There's some stats and there's things like, you know, so if you're not ready to like be able to share all that, then, and you just are trying to share your story so you can, you know, um, help them understand what you're going through and then, you know, maybe get some empathy from them, like, you're not going to get it because they're not ready to receive it. And so I so I totally get this part of um this part of what the Lord is saying, you know, like like be aware of who you're sharing the message with or your story with or your testimony with. Um so that when you do share, it will be received well and it will feel safe and you won't be, um, how, how do I say, criticized or you, you, you won't feel judged unrighteously, right? <laughs> um, and so I think that's why it's important for us to have safe people that we can share things with because then we can be, those feelings can be validated, those feelings can be um not you know overlooked or not it it'll, it would just end really well the way like if you're able to discern whether or not someone is a safe person to share specific things with if you, the better you get at that the better you'll be you know 
because there's so many haters out there and and Satan tries to warp even the nicest people to um to say things that maybe they didn't mean or that they don't understand what's going on and I'm not saying that um that they're trying to be like Satan or whatever but like because they don't understand what's going on and they don't understand what you're talking about or grasping what that is then they're more susceptible to not be there for you in a way that you wanted them to show up so anyway i i really understand that i understand this concept and if you think i don't understand it after i said all this then too bad for you don't worry about it because i feel like i understood it fine um but but you'll see what I'm saying when you start sh sharing things with people, uh, you'll get it. Okay, and then verse seven: Ask and it shall be given you; seek and ye shall find; knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is he? Or what man is therefore of you? Wait. Let's try one more time. Or what man is there of you whom in his son ask bread will give him a stone? Or if he ask him a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Okay, so the disciples are being taught to teach to preach about asking and seeking and knocking because the promise is that if we act on our faith and we're trying to uh, establish a relationship with heavenly father and jesus christ then the things that we need to do are ask seek and knock and then the things the thing that we are promised is that it shall be opened unto us okay so um, President Boyd K. Packer taught, no message appears in scripture more times in more ways than ask and ye shall receive. <laughs> and end quote. So that was in October 1999 general conference. So the Joseph Smith translation for verse seven makes it clear that Jesus is telling his disciples what to say to people they are preaching the gospel to. Okay, so that means I'm going to check the verse. Okay, so it says here, in the Joseph Smith translation, it says, Say unto them, ask of God, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and unto him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And then this, um, oh, let's not skip ahead, unless I'm supposed to. I think I might need to be. I think I do need to read this. Okay. It's so, it's so hard to figure out which verses to read from the JST that line up. Okay. And then said his disciples unto him, they will say unto us, we ourselves are righteous and need not that any man should teach us. God, we know here heard Moses and some of the prophets, but us, he will not hear. And they will say, we have the law for our salvation and that is sufficient for us. Then Jesus answered and said unto his disciples, thus shall ye say unto them, 
What man among you, having a son, and he shall be standing out, and shall say, Father, open thy house, that I may come in and sup with thee, will not say, Come in, my son, for mine is thine, and thine is mine. Okay, so yeah, I think that was that was good. Okay. Um, and then says, then to emphasize that those that ask will receive, Jesus compares our earthly fathers who love us to Heavenly Father in verse 9 to 11. What a loving Heavenly Father he is. We need only to imagine our loving earthly fathers who desire so much to give us our needs and wants. Then we can begin to understand how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him. And just imagine what those good things are. Elder Neil A. Maxwell taught, If ye know how to give, how much more shall your father give? Thou imperfect, oops, though imperfect, we mortals do good, sometimes much good. But can we keep mortal goodness in perspective? Comparatively, we are so much quicker to return favors and to pay our debts to mortals. And we should be responsive and grateful. But what of him who gave us mortal life itself, who will ere long give us all immortality and who proffers to the faithful the greatest gift of all, eternal life? Elder Neely Maxwell. Okay, so now we're reading verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay. So this is perfect because we have already talked about this in a previous episode. And the Savior gave this, when the Savior gave this, it became kind of called the golden rule. So it doesn't say don't do unto others what you don't want them to do to you. It is whatsoever you would, that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. The invitation is to act, to serve, to celebrate, to love, to give, to comfort, to offer, to lift. Consider how many of the Ten Commandments could be summarized with this simple teaching. Yeah, and remember that Dad likes to remind us that even the more golden rule, I can't remember, he, I think he calls it something else, the platinum rule. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think, he, I think that is what it is. I think that is what he says. Um, is to do unto others as they would have you do unto them. So not just do unto others as you would have others do unto, because that means we're serving them in the way that our love language wants to serve them. But we need to learn to serve others in their own love language. Does that make sense? Anyway, I like that. Um, Okay, and then verse... 13 and 14, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Okay, so this is um, something that I learned from some general authorities. I think it was like, I can't remember, but it was a young woman's president. Uh, general authority anyway and she uh, or I should say a general young women's president um, and I think it was a general young men's president too they were having a discussion anyway it was about this straight and narrow gate and they said it's like a funnel um, when 
everybody, when you turn the funnel and the funnel is open at the top, so the, the biggest opening is at the top, that is the world's way of doing things. Because when you try to test everything and you try to do everything and you try to say, you know, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die, you know, you do everything and then the rest of your life comes down that funnel. And because of all the things that you wanted to try, and I'm talking about like, like wicked things and evil things and not good things. Okay, I'm not talking about like just trying different sports. Okay, I'm talking about like drugs and alcohol and all the choices that that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are trying to keep us away from. Okay, because they're trying to protect us. And so if we try and do all the things the world wants us to do, and then eventually our life will be very limited. Okay, because that funnel comes down into that V. And then we are basically constrained by our addictions, right? We are now trapped and can only do so much. We only have a little bit at the, towards the middle and end of our lives. We don't have many options available to us anymore because of the so many things we wanted to try. Some of them might have caught us in addiction and some of them might have caught us in poor health and some of them might have caused us to do other things that are not in line with what Heavenly Father would have us do. And so we now are limited. And sadly, um, we always ha we have a family member, um, ex-Grandpa Charles, I guess we could call him, but we, he, cause grandma and him got divorced, but, um, he had, he wanted to try everything. And he, he told us, you know, when he was 19, he was doing drugs and thought he was living it up and doing all these things and partying, partying and everything was so fun, you know, and as a teenager. And then, now, you know, he's gone to 15 different um, addiction recovery programs trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, he's lost his job so many times because his addiction just continued to trap him. And he was and then eventually, you know, it ruined the marriage between grandma and him because he just couldn't get a hold of his life anymore, you know, because his life got a hold of him, right? He didn't, he wasn't in control at the beginning and, and therefore it controls him now at the end. And so if we're to flip the funnel, okay, so now you have the tiniest hole at the top and then the wide opening at the bottom. If you flip it, okay, then it says straight is the gate and narrow is the way. So narrow, like you might not be able to try all the things because there's a reason that you do not need to try all the things, okay? Because those things will trap you. So if you can stay away from those, those choices that will bind you, if you can stay away from those choices, okay? And you're doing really good. You're staying on the straight and narrow way, that the funnel is at the top, then as you continue on in life, the funnel can starts to open up, 
Okay, the funnel starts to open up as you come out. And then basically everything is available to you. You literally can do anything that you want now because of not being trapped by your poor choices early on in life. You worked so hard to stay faithful, to stay clean, to stay chaste, to stay on the straight and narrow path, okay? And therefore, your life now opens up to so many possibilities, so many opportunities, and it's going to be a lot better that way. I'm not saying you're not going to have problems, okay? Because problems are going to arise. Trials are going to always be there. Um, but you will be able to deal with them so much better and handle them so much more and be capable of literally anything that comes your way because of not being trapped by those earthly, worldly addictions that Satan tries to get us in. And if you have, okay, so anyway, that's, that's the funnel. You see, you've turned the funnel upside down. Perfect, right? It's the worst. You feel like it's the worst trying to be so good at the beginning, but it will pay off at the end. But just another um, another thing, like if you for some reason are struggling and you're like a teenager and you feel like you've gotten trapped by those temptations and you've, you're trying everything, right? Your funnel is starting to open up real big, right? And that just means that you're making a trade-off, right? For all the earthly worldly things that you're going to try right now. And it's not going to help you in the end. But if you get, if you get that feeling, like you're getting, you're starting to get that trapped feeling and you don't want that. Well, it's easy to, to flip your funnel around. It's so easy. All you need to do is start is repent and just turn back to Christ. And he can help, he can help mold that plastic funnel into the funnel that is up to upside down. He can help you mold that. He can make that funnel, okay, be straight and narrow at the top so that later on in life you'll have that wide opening at the bottom. So if you feel like your start your funnel's starting to get real wide, the only person that can help you with that is the Lord, the Savior. He can help you flip that funnel. He can help you remold it so that you do not make those lasting, uh, so that those choices that you did make won't be lasting is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, and then, so I, I really like that. Then elder Bruce Armour Conkey says the course leading to eternal life is both straight and straight. <laughs> one that's spelled S T R A I T. And the other one that's S T R A I G H T. It is straight because it has an invariable direction, always in the same. There are no diversions, crooked paths, or tangents leading to the kingdom of God. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> it is straight because it is narrow and restricted, a course where full obedience to the law, full law is required. Straightness has reference to direction, straightness to width. The gate is straight. The path is both straight and straight. But the thus, by entering in at the straight gate, which is repentance and baptism, a person gets on the straight and narrow path, which leads to eternal life. Oh, I love that. End quote. So, 
you gotta you got to flip your funnel if you're making bad choices okay just just make that funnel the straight funnel the straight straight funnel okay and then you're gonna have so many more options later on in life and i promise that that will be awesome for you um okay and then verse 15 we're gonna read be 15 to 20 um and this is how to determine false prophets <laughs> Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So ferocious, extremely hungry, and hunting for prey. Ye shall know them by their fruits. That was their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So, Elder Maxwell, Elder Neil A. Maxwell in the book titled all these things shall give the experience he says following the brethren can be more difficult when in some settings wolves are sent among the flock false prophets will arise enticing some to follow them and by their evil works they deceive careless observers into discounting any and all who claim to be prophets satan's order of battle is such that if it is necessary to encourage a hundred false prophets in order to obscure the validity the validity of one true prophet he will gladly do so so just be end quote so just be mindful of what satan is capable of doing here because that is one of his tactics yeah what i don't know what she's saying but she says it's so cute okay she was saying where did the fish go because she left them in the bathroom <laughs> We actually watched a movie last night called Noah, and it had uh, the actor Russell Crowe in it. And we, like, agreed on the fact that the way that they portrayed Noah in this movie was kind of a little bit sad. Um, they made him look like he was some crazy prophet who listened to God at first, but then didn't want to listen to him later. <laughs> And I didn't really love that. What happened? Okay, I have to go help Flores. Anyway, like it, it ended and I was like, I, kind, I loved like being able to see like the arc and how he portrayed, like how they portrayed the arc was and huge and like all the animals coming and that was pretty cool. And like it, like just certain things made me really think like, hmm, you know, and then there were certain things that were like, that's not in the scriptures. And Noah was trying to help everybody. And it was more of like, they didn't want to go with him versus him wanting to go with him, wanting them to, to go. Anyway, it was, it was weird the way that they portrayed the prophet. And had that been the prophet, like, had I been in that those days, it would not have been, like, I wouldn't have followed him for sure with him being crazy like that. But his family was trying to be super supportive and followed him everywhere. Okay, I got to uh, answer because dad's calling. Okay, well, dad was calling on the other line. Sad news is that he said that the insurance company 
because our van got in a wreck, is not going to be able to pay for fixing it. And it's a total loss. It just makes me sad because I know I don't, I'm not supposed to like things, but that van is just so nice to have. Faust was just talking about how he loved road tripping and going to Mexico with the cousins and we were able to go in the van um, and... Just like taking the youth to the temple, taking our friends to the temple. You know, we hadn't gotten around to doing all of all of it yet. We only have done it a handful of times because the dumb COVID. And I know that our I know I'm being very uh, materialistic right now. It's just sad. And I know I was complaining that it didn't fit in the garage. I was making it fit. We just have too much junk. I'll get rid of all that junk. (laughs) But I don't want to be unreasonable, you know. So I'm trying to I'm trying to be open-minded um, to different things, um, different possibilities, you know. Uh, trying to leave it in the Lord's hands, you know, like because we couldn't do anything. We were just at the mercy of the company to fix it. And the insurance company. And it just feels like everything's out of my control. So if I was just trusting the Lord, you know. So maybe, maybe. We just are not supposed to have a branded title car. You know, it's it's not as safe as a non-branded title. Um, It's always been like a little bit of a concern to me. The horn didn't work, which is like kind of dangerous. And it wouldn't turn on all the time. And the tires were so massive. Anyways, 
<sighs> I had to go blow my nose. So that's where we're at. I'm going to do some research, see what we want to do. And uh, I'm going to try not to let my emotions get the best of me. Because I know it's dumb to cry over a car. But now it's like a big pain to find a car, you know. But I'm going to, again, trust the Lord that we can find something that our family will want, need, and be blessed by. Right? It was definitely my dream car. And it will continue to be my dream car. We'll just have to see if I can get my dream car again or not. And it's okay. If I can't, eventually I will. Eventually I will. Okay. Uh, let's see. We're on Matthew 21. I mean, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Okay, we're almost done. So we can post two of these up at the same time. Okay. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me that in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Okay, so at Judgment Day, only those who had done the will of the Father will enter into the kingdom. Many will realize their shortcomings and will pretend and say, Lord, Lord. But the Lord will answer with, I never knew you. Who shall enter? In verse 21, it is those who come to know and then do the will of the Father. President Nelson and Elder Worthlin explain, this is First President Nelson, the the resplendent bouquet of God's love, including eternal life, includes blessings for which we must qualify, not entitlements to be expected unworthily. Sinners cannot bend his will to theirs and require him to bless them in sin if they desire to enjoy every bloom in his beautiful banquet. Oh, beautiful bouquet. They must repent. End quote. This was February and signed 2003. And then Elder Worthland says... To repent, by definition, a Christian not only professes belief in the Savior, but a Christian lives and acts according to the teachings and commandments of Jesus Christ. Let's see. Therefore, okay, so now we're on verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken a him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. 
And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So this is the wise man and the foolish man, obviously. And in primary, we get to sing, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay, you guys remember the song. I'm not going to keep singing. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> then here's what Redonosis has to say here. Christ then likens those who hear his teachings, including us, to the parable of the wise man and the foolish man. He is closing the sermon and gives the final thought that this entire sermon is about acting on what he has taught. Every part of, his, of this sermon is about the intent of the heart and becoming Christ-like in our natures. This way may be straight and narrow, but it is firm and strong. It gives us a foundation that protects and strengthens us. The wise man built a house with a foundation on a rock. First, the wise man had to dig into the ground one shovel full of dirt at a time. Then he had to find a haul large and haul large stones, shape them, and then place them in the exact right locations. Just think of how much effort it takes to build a strong foundation. Oh, and especially a foundation that you want to have a basketball court in or something. <laughs> it's going to have to be strong and big and the hole needs to be dug way deeper. Anyway, so there you go. But then when the floods and winds came, those destructive things had no power against the house. It was too strong. These are those that receive Christ's message and work and repent to become the very things he taught. On the other hand, the men or women who hear Christ's message, but yet do not heed his words, are like a man who builds a house up with a foundation only on the sand. Sand moves, it is not solid, and can be washed away, <laughs> for sure. Whatever you build upon it ultimately cannot stand, because the ground beneath it will shift in every direction. Therefore, it is inevitable that when the flood comes, it cannot stand. <laughs> These two houses may look the same when they are built and standing, I might add that even the house that's built on the sand might look better than the house that's built on the rock. <laughs> but when the destructive forces come, they will soon be nothing alike and won't even be there if you're the sandy house. <laughs> so I, I have, like, you can easily understand this concept. And I think that's, that the Lord using this in, towards the end was kind of like awesome because it was like, Hey, by the way, the, this is like really basic stuff, um, that you can heed or not hear, heed, you know? Okay. And then the last two verses, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So, Jesus taught with authority, and although the disciples had sat through countless lessons at the synagogues, nothing like this had been taught before. And Elder Bruce Armakonki says that never man spake as we have just heard the Lord Jesus speak. His voice was the voice of the in incarnate Jehovah. His words, spoken by the power of the Holy Ghost, were the words of his Father. Others were authorized to preach and teach by the scribes. He had his authority from God. He came in his father's name, used his father's voice, and exercised his father's power. Elder Bruce Armakonki, The Mortal Messiah book. Um, and I just, I, 
think you can tell when when people teach with authority. Like I really love President Nelson's talks and I think that's why I continue to uh, gravitate towards listening to them over and over again because I can just feel that authority and that power that comes when he teaches because he knows the things that he's teaching and he's tried them and like, like it's just awesome, right? And I think that's what I get in general conference too. Um, like I love general conference because people teach from the heart and from what they know and from uh, testifying and you can tell that these people have a relationship with Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father and that they heed his promptings and that they are confident in what they're saying because, okay, because of the fact that they are speaking by the power of the Holy Ghost. And we can do the same. We can speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. It says in um, in the Book of Mormon that we the angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so when we speak and we have the Holy Ghost with us, we can also speak with power and with authority. And um, I love that because that just means that I can teach my children and I can um, help them understand as long as I'm kind of walking the walk and talking the talk, you know, I, I don't. I don't just want to talk the talk, you know, I want to walk the talk, talk to, you know what I'm saying? I want to be able to, whenever I'm teaching to, for my children to understand that I know these things firsthand because I have experience with them firsthand. But if I don't have experience with them firsthand, how can I teach? And that, and I think that is what is so powerful about, uh, president Nelson. And when he teaches, you just know, you know that he knows. You know that he knows. And I think that it would have been awesome. And I think that's why I wanted to read what the Lord teaches here. Because he knows. I mean, he created us. So he knows firsthand what is going to bless us and what is not. And so he teaches us with love, but with authority. Like telling us like, what's up? He is not messing around. And this is it, right? So uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for showing up and for reading scriptures with mom. I love you. And um, I got to go to the temple this morning. And it was awesome. I almost missed it, but I didn't. Because dad actually was like, hey, your alarm went off. And I was like, oh no, I jumped out of bed. And I just, I love being there in the temple. There's so much power there. So if you can get there, get there as much as you can. Because you need that strength that comes from the temple. That comes from being in his house. And then you'll be able to speak with authority because you'll have that Holy Ghost with you. When you're teaching your kids. Or teaching those who you have stewardship over. Okay. I love you. Bye.